and welcome to Portraits of Clongos, a podcast series that takes you on a journey into the lives of former pupils of Clongos Wood College. My name is Rossa McDermott, and in this podcast series, we will speak with alumni from Clongos to hear their first-hand accounts of the transformative impact this school has had on their lives. Michael Shield, I would like to welcome you to the podcast. How was Clongos for you and how do you remember it? Well, I suppose, first of all, to say that I came to Clongos in the first half of the last century. <laughs> that sounds ages ago, perhaps not quite as late. I came in 1949 from Belfast, Nine County Ulsterman, Mother Donegal, Father Portadown, myself and my two brothers, Belfast, older brother, about 16 months older than my twin and myself. He had come in 48. We did this, Sean and I did the second 11 plus in the north and having nowhere to go in the north because we weren't going to grammar school. We came to Clongos. uh, We all came here because my father had been here from 10 to 14 and uh, older brother a year ahead of us was very proud of his two twin brothers when we followed him. My brother didn't want to leave home. The thought of leaving the security of home was very difficult for him before we left. I couldn't wait to get here. When we got here, he went off and made friends and I cried for three weeks. Very, very homesick. Uh, Very grateful to a man called Father Paddy Power, who during evening study realised that there's this miserable little fellow and he would take me for a walk in the pleasure grounds and enable me to try and forget my own misery. So gradually I grew through that and ended up uh, strict, difficult years by comparison to uh, life uh, as it is today, but with nothing like the the freedom that present students have, but with nothing like the challenges that that they have when when they leave here. And we were here from September to Christmas and then Christmas to Easter and Easter to to the summer. I suppose my vocation built on the foundation of my family became a sort of a, just a natural progression to join the Jesuits from here. I owe my vocation to Clongos uh, as, as well as my family. Was never un, unhappy apart from that. Uh, it is of period. That, uh, that time, things were much more black and white. You did this, therefore that happens. You, you do something wrong, therefore that happens. You get 100% an exam, you get a place guard and all this. It's very monastic life. We were living in a bubble with a half evening on a Tuesday and a half day on a Thursday, up every morning at 10 to 7, except probably 10 to 8 on a Sunday, mass every morning, and then a sort of a monastic routine. Father Paddy Power, we dreadful nicknames and people. He was called Slimy Power for some reason. I have no idea. I remember him just as a very kind person. I think I had him for history or something in first year, in, in that preparatory year. And during study, he would take me for a walk in the pleasure grounds and just get me distracted. So I've always been very grateful to him for helping me through that period because have you ever been homesick? Yeah. It, it's like seasickness. Yes. And it's no consolation to know that the person beside you is throwing his stomach up <laughs> if you're about to throw yours. And all the time uh, when I was uh, airline prefect for nearly 20 years, I was very sympathetic and sensitive to any anybody who was uh, who was homesick. Would you remember Kevin O'Farrell? Yeah, yeah. A, a son, was it a son of his? No, his youngest brother, Brendan. And they were living in Trinidad at the time. And he was so, so homesick. And I had him sitting in my office during evening study, just distracting him as I worked away myself. So, obviously, I I got over that. So I spent seven years here. I have to protest to the boys I didn't have to repeat a year, of course. (laughs) (laughs) You have to repeat a year. Um, So I started... uh, and then it was Elements, Rudiments, Grammar, Syntax, Poetry and Rhetoric. I must say, I, I enjoyed my time here. By today's standards, it was it was very strict and severe. It was also post-war. I remember we used to uh, get, it was some form of malt, 
as the nutrition, not quite the equivalent of creatine that they have today. <laughs> today. But um, we were really under, undernourished uh, because uh, of the the rationing and that in the north. Um, just very quickly, my my earliest memory is of I think it was must have been the night that the Belfast shipyards were bombed about 1941. I think I was only about three. I remember being taken from bed, put in a car, and we all went down the country. And we, myself, my two brothers, we slept in a barn, which for us was great crack. We have no idea what it was about. Oh, only yeah. discovered afterwards. And uh, our house was sort of in the in the middle of a field, really. And there was an anti-aircraft battery down in the field. And I remember going down and the way young lads will do with soldiers with a barrage balloon over it, you know. So it was very much coming coming from from that world. I remember I suffered a bit, but my older brother suffered a lot from boils, which were these awful things uh, that could break out anywhere, especially around your neck, and extremely painful. And it was just through malnutrition. Well, yeah. Talking of nutrition, the, the grub we had by today's standard was absolutely ghastly. There were too many... Uh, I could <laughs> write a book about it. There were, there were things, there was one called Doyle's Delight, the unfortunate brother who'd cook for us was um, called Doyle's, Del Doyle's Delight. And again, because the South was suffering from post-war, they didn't now use some kind of oil to, in a pan if you're, if you're making something, but these sort of industrial... Types and they didn't have anything like that, so they used new newspaper to line the dish so that the pastry wouldn't stick. Uh, it was a sort of a steak and kidney pie, not that there was much either steak or kidney. There was something in it anyway, but when it and it was in a deep dish, and then when it was served, when it was taken out, it was turned upside down, a bit like tartata. It's it's one of the speciality in France yeah. of an apple tart upside yeah, down, yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they would peel the newspaper off it, which would come off very successfully. But the print would read, <laughs> and with the mirror, with the mirror, you could read, you could read, read the news, <laughs> read not quite snippets of news. Um, there was a thing we could get. Well, the staple diet was apples, apples and custard, because the orchard out there. Was there yeah. The, yeah. We said that we had apples and custard eight days a week. <laughs> Except on a Sunday, yeah. <laughs> there was no custard. No custard, just apple. There was still apple. Yeah. And uh, there was a, a fellow who's uh, an English fellow, and the meat was so thin you could nearly see through it. It was like <laughs> cigarette paper. There was this, his father was uh, in some chemical pharmaceutical uh, company in England, and uh, there was what <laughs> the meat. It looked like. You know, when oil mixed with water, you get some lovely colours. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he, he got two slices of bread and he put the slice of meat in between to dry it out. <laughs> he posted it to his father for a test. We, 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 we had to ride home to a free study on a Saturday evening. Mm. It was free study, Saturday evening study, was confessions and writing letter home. <laughs> And Mother God rest her, she kept all the letters that I, my father remember, my brother sent her. And after she died, we found she'd put them all together and compartmentalised them. Some of the rubbish <laughs> <laughs> we had beans and potatoes <laughs> or something like that. And also the, le the, letter, uh, the letters had to be... I can't remember where they were. In the, I think they might, they might have been sealed okay. But what happened was he hadn't dried the meat sufficiently and it oozed. He was nearly expelled. <laughs> but um, actually, as an aside, Nick Hewer, who's a past pupil, mm. he was in Countdown and he was yeah. the, the good, Munich, good yeah. boy with, yeah. uh, with uh, Alan Sugar. And he, his autobiography is absolutely marvellous. It is. My life, my alphabet. It's from yeah. for the countdown. And He's in class for you, wasn't he? <clears throat> he was a was he he was three years behind oh, me. Yeah. No, just behind me. Yeah. There's a chapter J for Jesuit, um, <laughs> and uh, 
it's an absolutely marvelous, uh, slightly exaggerated, somewhat inaccurate, but very full of of affection, and you can yeah. really sense it. Um, I may try and find you the. It, and it's just so much, and he gives a marvellous description of the refectory and, and all sorts of things, yeah. and including after, after we'd weekly exams on a Sunday morning. So, sorry, let me, the, the week was full class days, Monday, Tuesday, no, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. No, let me see. No, Monday was a full class day. Tuesday was a half evening it was. There was one class after lunch and then there were games. Wednesday was an ordinary full class day. Thursday was a half day. And Friday and Saturday were, were ordinary full class days. But with um, with, e with evening, with free study on a Saturday evening. And every Sunday morning there was an exam. By the way, Mass was for everybody every morning. Every morning? Every morning at 10 past, 10 past 7. Get up, the bell would go at 10 to 7. Uh, mass, you'd be there in the chapel for 10 past 7. And everybody in a set place, there was a man called the gallery prefect. He was, he was a sort of a, there, there were there were only three line prefects. There were a priest in the higher line and lower line and a scholastic in the third line. And there was another scholastic called gallery prefect. And he had to, Sit up in a high rostrum or kneel up in a high rostrum at the very back of the chapel, keeping sure. keeping the troops in order. And uh, there were no concelebration in those days. <laughs> the, the, the spiritual father used to say mass at the high altar, yeah. and at the two side altars, you had the higher line prefect, the lower line prefect, and so the third line were in front, then the lower line, and then the higher line at the back, and uh, some of the more adventurous or non-subscribers, might one call them. Occasionally, they would run a book as to <laughs> when the Highland Prefect finished before the war. <laughs> so that it was said, obviously it wouldn't have happened in, in my time. <laughs> and uh, it was extraordinary, the acoustics facing the mass of the Tridentine right mm. in those days, uh, which are back to the people, and up the priest at the high altar, facing the tabernacle, speaking as we are now, mm. could be heard up in the organ loft. Whereas now, if if you turned round and spoke there, you could be heard possibly in the yeah. front row. It was a, it's a beautiful chapel, but we never appreciated it. Oh, it is. It's I mean, only subsequently that I've uh, come to re really love it. It's fabulous, yeah. So I'm wandering around the place a bit. But anyway, we started, um, oh yes, I can't remember how we crossed Dublin, but our parents put us on a train. Um, there was a Jesuit who had travelled from Clongos to Belfast, to Sligo, I think, to Galway, to Cork, and possibly Waterford. Spend the night there and then supervise. There was a, a reserved uh, carriage for the gentleman of Clongos. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, there was a famous man who used to be, he was from Belfast, um, Father McGlade. And... Uh, <laughs> We could be here till next Christmas. <coughs> the, there was a famous name, Dargan, in Duntrum, the, the Dargan Bridge, named after uh, William Dargan, <coughs> who was one of the pioneers of the railway in Ireland. And he had some sons who, who joined the Jesuits and nephews, I think. But uh, the Society, Society of Jesus in Ireland bought chairs in the Great Northern Railway. So in those days, there was first, second, and third class. Yeah. Now there's just first class and steering. Steering. And Jesuits uh, uh, on a third class ticket were able to travel first class. With so this man, <laughs> this man would see us into our compartment. Mm. And then we never saw him till we reached Belfast. Until one day, <laughs> he was outed because he was a smoker. And <laughs> you had to go through the, the customs at Dundalk. And it could take an hour and a half yeah. as the customers went through the train. So he would get out and he was having a cup of coffee or something and smoking. Uh, and he could see the he was waiting for the whistle to blow when he just had to cross the platform. <laughs> and uh, so he heard, he heard the whistle and then he finished his thing. But the train was still there and he went to get into the carriage. And he discovered to his horror, 
It was the last carriage that was being left behind on the train. <laughs> the, tra the train was going off down the line. <laughs> so he he jumped in a taxi. That was at uh, at Dundalk, and he was coming into Portadown Station, and he saw the train was just pulling out of the station. <laughs> so. Uh, by the time the, tr the train reached Belfast, uh, my, I can't remember, there would have been, might have been a dozen of us still on the train, <laughs> and where's Father McLeod? <laughs> you know, and the train was searched and everything. Um, so he, anyway, eventually, so we gave up, he just disappeared, yeah. and uh, there's no mobile phones in those days. Yeah. <laughs> and so we all went home, and uh, about an hour and a half later, we got a call from his family, to our parents to say that Father McLean, he got a bus from Portadown <laughs> to Belfast. So he never travelled again. Because he would travel first class with tea and all that sort of thing, <laughs> you know. And then there were a number of them who came and they would always stay with us, with our family overnight. They were, they were sort of great, great times. Uh, it, it's very much black and white by comparison. And the today's generation, they have so much more freedom. But boy, do they have so much more challenges. You do. You know? But in those days, it wasn't even felt very isolated <clears throat> down here, was it? You don't go home as often. It's more remote than... Clean is almost at the front gate now. You know what I mean? Was, yes, yes. But the, the, yes, we were here from September to Christmas and from Christmas, from January to June. But my father, God rest him, told us it was only in his sixth year that they got home for Easter. Seriously? It was wow. January to June. And in the very early days, it was the month of August, otherwise you were here, the 11 months. And there was one time, you might remember, when there was Harland Prefect, somebody looking up the old records saw that the students <laughs> got beer at lunch <laughs> And they approached me and they said, this would be a very good idea. And I said, yeah, good, very good idea. So they were absolutely amazed that I hadn't thrown them out of the office. <clears throat> so when I looked up, so when, when they came back to, <clears throat> to get the answer, I said, I think that'd be absolutely terrific. We can... We can start that next week. Um, <laughs> and the reasoning was, if they could do that 100 years ago, why can't we do it now? And I said, Grand, so we'll arrange it that um, the call will be at half past five and there'll be study from six to seven and then there's mass and then breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't, they didn't think they would survive to lunchtime. You got the beer. That never rose. No, I was, I was never, I was never unhappy. But you, you just accepted, you just accepted the system. It was very clear. Um, it wasn't always reasoned why you weren't allowed to walk in the grass or something yeah. like that. And it was also very monastic, because next time you go down the the steps leading up, or from the the boys' chapel, you notice that by the walls the steps were worn mm. because the bell would ring. I don't know, about half past eight, a quarter to nine for night prayer. And then silence descended on the place. And it was the captain of the school would be standing at the top of the steps and God uh, have anybody who was seen talking because he'd be reported. He would, I would tell you, if I was captain of school, you would go and report. And uh, so there was night prayer every night and then you went into night study and then you went to bed and then you got up and then you went down to mass. And then you went into the refty for breakfast. And between the bell for night prayer and the bell that uh, the minister would ring for grace before meals, they were all set places. Yeah. And the meal was served, such as it was. <laughs> um, it was silence. So it was very social. Very, oh. Yes, I mean, and when I, well, I'd had two years in Munger before I, before I went to Belvedere and then here. So when the system was obviously, I would have thought lax, but for liberal here. <laughs> and then after breakfast, the third line would go up and make their beds. But do you remember Paddy Lavery? You do, yeah. In Paddy Lavery's time, their beds were made for them. Were they? Yeah. The first time Paddy Lavery made his bed, he told me, was when he went to the Nivisians. Sure. <laughs> but um, the. We're in the community library at the moment. Yeah. 
Um, the higher line track was around the cricket oval yeah. and the lower line track was around the tennis, tennis courts. Yeah. And after breakfast, we would go out and w just walk around, uh, around the track. Yeah. And uh, in those days, um, <laughs> there were sheep that would keep the grass down. But there were sheep shit all around yeah. the place. Yeah. Um, the, we would walk around until the hairline or line prefect. They had to widen the walk as well. Do they? Oh, you had to? Yes. Oh, yes. And and they had to. And only hairlines did the hairline walk, Laura, and did they walk? Yes. And third line didn't they, have they, walk. There was only third line would come out later oh, and right. run around. Yeah, right. So, um, but th there would be a common part, obviously, where hairline. Yes, was hairline or line mixed? Could meet. So there, there, there must have been. Yeah. Anyway, uh, then we'd go into make our beds and then go to there was morning study. There was class till half past twelve and a thing called frustulum, which is a Latin sort of a word for a sort of a snack or something like that. We called it crustulum <laughs> because you got soup and a slice of bread. The main meal was at half past three in the afternoon. Oh dear God. Because after crustulum you went into you went into class for the afternoon and then half past three. And then after the full meal, you went out and had games. Uh, do you remember the boot rooms? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Because except on a Tuesday and a Thursday, you would go down to the boot room and you would put on your boots and, and socks and you'd go out and play soccer or hurling. We actually played hurling. Hurling then. Oh. And then you'd come in and sometimes wash your feet and then you'd come to study. All things are relative. The, the notion of having a shower every day was... Was none. Well, was none. And so it was on two days. It was either in the first term and then the second term, it was two days a week each. You had soccer and hurling and the rest was rugby. The rugby coaching was, was shall we say, somewhat... I mean, uh, somebody would be sent here as a scholastic third-line prefect and he had to take the third-line team. Yeah. He might... Never played rugby, never knew one end of the ball from the other. Yeah. But the great state, and uh, it was a little bit like so many who joined never having driven, mm. and then suddenly you had to you had to drive. You didn't right, need, yeah. there was no test. Yeah. You just got your license and off you went. And it gave for some very interesting methods of driving. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Um, but you're never intimidated, intimidated about the place because your family went here. You've been here before you came. No, and you... once you no once once you got over uh, once you got over the homesickness. Yeah. No, no, you 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 settled in. I remember it was after uh, my father died. He died shortly before my ordination. We take so long to ordination that mm. there were twelve of us ordained. If we'd been diocesan priests, eight of us would have had both parents. Two would have lost one and two would have lost both, possibly. But by the time we were ordained, there were only two of the twelve, I think, who, both of whose parents were still alive. Mm. Well, it was but 13 years, this? It was 13 years to ordination and then another year. And then I did a... I, I took 16 years, it was a bit slow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I, I didn't did apply two, yourself. I did, I did two years in Paris. But... Uh, after he died, my mother told me that um, there was a famous scholastic in his time who had walked him down the front avenue, the back avenue, I can't remember which, trying to persuade him to join the Jesuits. One of the arguments given was <laughs> it was one of the surer ways of getting to heaven. How naive. many when he delivered... When my parents delivered, or signed myself and John on for Tongos, he said he hoped that, explained this, that he hoped that perhaps the, he might get, uh, that the society might get a, a vocation out of it. Um, he was very religious, my father. As I said at my ordination, at my first Mass, that uh, I wasn't surprised that a religious vocation came from our family. The surprise was that it was me. me. And I think that surprised my brothers as well. Yes. But, um, what when, year do you know? When do you know? It, some, sometimes people ask me, some people can tell you that an experience that they had, a retreat that they did or something. 
to say I drifted into the society is putting it far too negatively. It seemed to be the natural progression. And in those days, it was so, so crazy. Everything was kept secret. Mm. Um, my best friend, who was from the north, from Dungannon, Lawrence Murphy, we joined the same day we left, the same day we were in, the same day. He'd be my outside family. He'd be my closest uh, uh, person I'd be closest to. I knew. We, we knew. Uh, because yeah. we, we, the thing you knew. Yeah, both of us knew. And we had another friend. Um, there were three of us, and we, we knew that we were going to join. But we didn't talk about it. You but never talked between the three of you? Between the three of us, yes. Yeah, right. But, but not in not the wider that. community. Um, and you'd be in, you have to do, you have to be interviewed. But the interviews I did was one with the, with the rector, with the spiritual father, and the Highland prefect. And he called me into his office one evening after lights out. And that was normally either you were in real trouble. Yeah. Or, I've been that I've had that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Would or, you? Or, or, or there was bad news from home. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I sat down in his room and he said, he was a marvellous man, uh, Father Jack Burden. He died. Yeah, he was, it was 73, I think. 74. 74. 74. He's the first, years? yeah, That's he's the first priest I saw down in, now it's the, the, the entrance yeah, to the, yes. thanks to school, yeah. that was, he was, he was right. put out there, yeah. yeah. There's a little room in there, that's where he's from. Yes, he, he was, he was the birth Yes, yeah. Uh, I can't remember where he was from, but he, he, he was a chaplain in, in the war and he acquired a very posh accent. Yeah. We used to call him the vicar. The vicar. The vicar. And uh, anyway, the vicar called me in. And I sat there and he sat down. Well, Michael, he said, have you ever murdered anybody? And I really said, yes. <laughs> and he said, have you? He said, and I said, no, no, I haven't. I think then you're all right, I yeah. think. And then, he, then we just chatted. You know? That was your interview. That, 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 was, that was my interview. Um, and the spiritual father was the same idea. And they had sort of presumed it. But there again, the Jesuits, didn't talk to us about it, you know, say in passing, with the exception of this man, McGade. Mm. Um, during the leaving, I was packing my trunk or something just opposite where the shop was, and he always knew that he, he would pass me, I needed a particular walk, and he stopped behind me and I was, and he just simply said, uh, am I to take it that you're coming south in September? All oh, right. And that, because it would have been presumed I would have gone to Queen's in Belfast. Yeah. And I said, yes. And he was very proud of the, the Northern Connection yeah. as well. Where, where he, he was the best pupil himself from here. But um, the only person who actually spoke, took the initiative was a layman called Michael Turner, who taught me Irish from about the third year on, got, got me honours in the leaving. Because, <laughs> God bless you. He, I was taught it as a dead language. Yeah. If there had been an oral, I had no snowball chance to yeah. it. I felt bitter is too strong a word. But it was so unfair. You had to do Irish and get the leaving in Irish in order to matriculate. Yeah. And our older brother, he got all the subjects except Irish. Yeah. And he could never matriculate. He wanted to go to Queen's to follow law, follow my father's footsteps, and he never could. But uh, the Lord looks after his own. So he joined the he joined the bank, and when he was on secondment around the place uh, as a young cashier person in, in the early stages, and that's where he met his wife, and they were married for 50 years and had, had, three, had three sons. You know, but I felt it was so, so unfair. And the results came in Irish as well. Yeah. I couldn't have told you what the word meant, but I'll never forget the, the hip earth. It means you failed. And he asked me, you know, what did it mean? And I had to, I remember, it was awful one morning back home in Belfast. I never did Irish in my life. I had an exemption because I was lucky <coughs> I hadn't been here to school long enough before the age of 11. Otherwise, yes. I would have always been, I could never apply for RTE or these jobs because yes. I never had Irish and they didn't yes. take an exemption. So even in the 70s, it was. Yes, yes. 
Now you have to do Irish, but you don't have to pass it. Yes, or, or must compulsory. But my, this is a slight digression, but it's for later on. I was doing Regency as a scholastic in Gonzaga, and I had to do the eighth dip, and I was coaching the Gonzaga junior team at the time. So I'd be on my bike at 20 past four, at hotel is 20 to five, I sleep by quarter to five, possibly. But I went religiously to all the to all the lectures on the principle, if you roll long enough in the mud, so much will stick. But then realized to my horror that it used to be in your probation year, you would be, say, up in Donegal or somewhere. The department would send somebody, perhaps another teacher, and sit down and uh, see she is, and you'd see she is. And called the Sanum Dutch, two blogs the Sanum Dumb, and you signed it, and that was it. Yeah. But somebody decided it was ludicrous. So the year I was doing the dip, they announced in March that uh, it was going to be a formal exam between the end of lectures and the beginning of the exam. And it was optional for that particular year because it was announced in the middle of the year. But I decided to sign on for it because I was going to go into theology and then heaven's knows and my Irish wasn't going to improve. To our horror, we discovered everybody signed on for it. A 15-minute oral. There was a marvellous Irish-speaking man, uh, an Irish expert on Tarot Leira. He was so good. He was a Welsh bard, which is really the top. Uh, uh, it, it's a top honour that a marvellous Celtic scholar so he helped me make a speech. I <laughs> went into the exam. Remember, a girl came out and she was hyperventilating. I don't know whether it was out of relief or terror. Terror, yeah. I didn't get a chance to talk to her now and then. And I'd hoped to get some retired person, you know, who was... Easy. Easy. And there was this, I'd say he was in his late 20s, early 30s. And he said to me, God, hostage. I had no clue what it meant. I now know. It means, where are you from? Yeah. <clears throat> Which is a fair enough question to ask. So I pressed the button. And the only bit I remember is the Rugome Mel Fairster. I was born in Belfast. <laughs> and I was going to My idea was, I'd learned off my heart. Yeah. I wouldn't let him interrupt. Across the table, I saw his watch. And it had gone 12 minutes. And a bit like St. Peter walking in the waters when Jesus said, come on. Yeah. Peter had said, Lord, if it is you, tell me. He said, come on, out you come. Then he realised what he was doing, started to sink. And I realised, only three minutes to go. But I realised what I was doing. And I stopped and I had to say to him in English, because I couldn't have said it in Irish. Excuse me, I'm a bit confused. I, I have the impression you've just asked me a question in French. <laughs> and he sat back and he smiled. What saved me was that he could speak French. He said, I have every right to ask you a question in French. Apart <laughs> from the first 30 seconds, you've done nothing but speak French to me. <laughs> and then, and then we, chatted, we chatted for three minutes how you can switch languages without realising. He never realised well. And I got the exam. No. I never used it. That's amazing. I've leaped ahead. Every, everything was structured and the dorms were locked in the morning after Mass, mm -hmm. uh, after you went down to Mass, opened briefly for you to make your beds and then locked again until, it must have been until, until you were going to bed. Or on a Thursday, Tuesday or a Thursday, there were, uh, there, there were games. Games, yeah. And, and, and you played rugby. Yeah, that's right. On the other days, it was hurling or soccer. I don't know whether the rugby teams, you know, the cup teams. Yeah. Because they were the only teams that played other schools. Really? Yes. And they all, might only have six matches. And yeah. They, they, they were always played on Sunday. Congress lived in, in a real bubble. Yeah. Because uh, it was a, it was a seven-day week, half day on a Thursday, a half evening, as it was called on it, on a Tuesday. Ordinary classes all day Saturday, an exam on Sunday. But sun, Sunday afternoon, and that was the time we really got to, unless you got a visit, it it would be after the exam. The exam would be 11 and a half, 12 or something. And then you could, you could get special permission. But even local, well, I don't know how local they were, you didn't get a visit every Sunday. 
but I probably got three visits in the whole year. Yeah. You know, because it was a big journey down from the north and with petrol rationing and all that. But it was on the Sunday afternoon where nothing was organised for us. Mm. And that's where you made the real friendships. Yeah. And I've always regretted a bit that the place now empties on a Sunday. Yeah. And all that are, le- basically all that are left are, well, in the in the last term, it'll be six years studying for the, for the leaving, or the overseas students. Yeah. I always feel a bit sorry for them. So it, it was all very structured and there was, there was a security about it as well. Mm. You know, it was very much black and white. You knew if you do this, that'll happen, you know. I obviously, I would always have a, an interest in, in, you know, things long like any past pupils. And I'd been hoping that I might uh, be sent to Clongos for Regency, as it was right. called. But um, I was sent to Gonzaga. And normally you go for one year, it was three years, one year, one year here and another year somewhere else which was good to get experience. Because mm. in those days, most of the Jesuits went into education, mm. you know, because I was asked at the last minute to take the, the first rugby team I ever had in Gonzaga, the Junior Cup team. I was meant to be doing the dip. And he said, no, no, we'll work that out. And then it was forgotten about. And uh, all hell broke loose when it was discovered that after two years, I hadn't done the dip. <laughs> so the provincial said, well, you bloom well better do the dip, yeah, but you, yeah. you, you, there's no point moving you now, stay here. Yeah. So that was a big advantage, actually. I was, uh, so then I, um, then after I finished in Paris, again, I would have been liking to come back, say, as a line, as a line prefect. I didn't consider myself a teacher, because I, I, I was too meticulous, wanted to mark every mistake. And you meticulous, <laughs> that, that really, I can't get that wrong. <laughs> never noticed. I think it might be called something like CPD or <laughs> one of these things now. I think I'd be thinking I say, Fred, uh, uh, you're one of the biggest influences of my life because a lot of things you did, <laughs> I now implement in my business. You have great structure and organization <laughs> and you plan ahead and you know what you're doing on the 7th of November. Yeah. If I asked it, which yeah. not many people do, and you can actually tell off the top of your head, which is actually quite scary, because you can correct me the other day. So we're talking on the seventh of uh, June, not the sixth, and you you just come in from walk down the avenue, so you are shockingly on the ball and organised. Yeah. So meticulous is a word that's just going to be quality. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, when I was finishing in Paris and. I got a circular saying that uh, Mungert was closing, yeah. And I always wanted to go there. Did you? I'd never been there. Yeah. But it seemed like we are the Wild West. Yeah. I had no, no idea at all. I was really disappointed. And then I get this apologetic letter from the provincial saying, I know, Michael, you're, you're starting off, but I'm afraid I'm asking you to do a dead-end job for two years. I was over the moon with delight. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. Um, there were only... 200 and something, 220 in my first year there. And there were only 88 in, in my la- last year. Very unfairly, I was called the liquidator. <laughs> you know, I need to wind up the, con- the, the company, you know. But um, I remember I cried my eyes out the day, left Munger. And then I was sent to Belvedere's rector at the age of 36. I was 20 years below the average age of the community. Mm-hmm a lot of whom had had me in school here. Yeah. And they were calling me father and I was calling them father. Yeah, no, look at the real club going. It's, 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 it's staring to see who was around when you were there mm. and how the roles reverse and as yes. reverse even later. Mm. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then, because my brother was always asked me, I thought you were active for six years and we moved you after two. What did you do wrong? Yeah. And... It was just, there was an, uh, an, an emergency here. You know, yes, t- you were talking about order and all that. May 68 didn't affect just France. Right. May 68, mm. it had a very levelling effect. And seemingly what happened here, I think Percy Window would have been part of it. Um, yeah, it would have lived through it. That um, everything sort of, the, the, the leadership thing was no longer hierarchical. It was... It was all shared together. Mm. And when I was here, there were nine 
boy prefects. There were the three line prefects, mm -hmm. nine boy, nine boy prefects. You know the rooms up in the twenty nine building. Yeah. As you went down, on either side, I had the last one on the right because, uh, and I was the bell ringer in the morning with a nail file. <laughs> you would join up two bits, mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> there were none of these automated stuff at the time. Yeah. The, the the system really wasn't working. Do you remember Jack Brennan? Yeah. Uh, the Jack. The yeah, there was no line prefix. Mm. There was somebody in charge of each year. But I do not really don't know how they worked it. When Munger closed, actually, Difficult Burden died that year, 74. Yeah. Mm. And I remember, and you were probably uh, at the funeral, yes. you know, the school lines. Yeah. And, uh, that was my first funeral. <clears throat> Yeah, and uh, there were some lads from Mungras who come here. There's a lad, Jimmy Whelan. Jimmy, Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah, he's yeah. in Norway or somewhere. Yeah, somewhere there. Sweden. Yeah. Um, he migrated up here. And the word had got around that this moment was closing, that I was coming here as Ireland Prefect. Mm. And that stage I knew I was going to Belvedere, but I, I couldn't say anything. So, but I think it was decided that the structure had, had got lost a bit. So anyway, I arrived and Percy Winder went from being spiritual father to lower line prefect. Yeah. And Joe Ward was third line prefect. He had been what was called second club prefect in Mungers. Mm. And I think went from Munger to Clongos. Yeah. So he was the only one, if you like, who had prefectorial experience. So when I arrived, I, I knew Owen Halpin and Tony Egan because Liam O'Connell had asked me for, to come down from Belvedere to help him coach the juniors or something. Yeah. I remember the day that, the, that we opened. <laughs> you wouldn't have known this in September, <laughs> August of 77. I didn't lock the door of the Harlan Prefect's office, but I closed the door. There was no, I'm, I'm, you might think this, do you ever do the Myers-Briggs no. thing? If, if I did, didn't know it beforehand, that proved to me that I'm an introvert. Right. Right. I hate going into a room where I don't know anybody. Oh, yeah, I can I see that. Yeah. So I was saved by either Tony or Owen, who, you know, known me from the past, you know, hey, how's your man? Yeah. You know, and uh, and then then the door was open. Mm. And then obviously, the, and the rest sort of, as they say, is history. Mm. But if I wanted, there were no prefects, there, yeah. there were no prefects or anything like that. Now you can, Think of some of the people in your year being called, <laughs> on, both. Being called on to be leaders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I won't mention any names. <laughs> you, can, you, you weren't part of the of a prayer. I was asked to do a prayer group. Prayer groups were in those days. Mm -hmm. And this group of persons who shall be nameless <laughs> came in and uh, they asked me. And uh, I'd had them in Mungert and, and, and they were very successful. So I was kicking for church and I said... Uh, well, oh, what what do you do in these? And some one of them who's who, who's named after an Irish county. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said, "Well, you sort of you you gather around and and you sit around and you try and you light a can you light a candle, and you um, then you sit there and you think for a while, and then somebody says." How the hell is it? Right, the candle lets him for a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, 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 that was my introduction. Now, Joe Ward brought those to us in third line. Yes. He, brought, so he must have brought them from Unger because that's where we came yes. across them in uh, yeah. second year, my grandma. Yeah. 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 And, and Percy, Percy would have had them in thing. And, and I think all my time, right, until for nine years, I think we had them. But the, uh, if I wanted something done, I might tell Russell, would you ever do this? If I asked you twice, people say, I was going to be captain of school. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and it was absolutely crazy. And the captain of school was only announced uh, at the end of September. Mm. And then Phil Fogarty, God rest him, he came at the same time. Mm. And Paddy Lavery came at the same time. Mm. And uh, I'd been with Paddy for a year in Belvedere. And he came... <laughs> From Belvedere to Clongus via Pakistan. <laughs> and I thought Paddy Lavery was Mr. Belvedere mm. until one night I bring her back from the Belvedere Ball and I thought he'd drink on him. 
because he told me he was Clongos. I said, you're not Clongos. Yeah. But he, he'd, he'd been in Clongos. But then he'd been in Belvedere for years. And when he came here, he, he was heartbroken. But after six months, he said, I don't know how I could have gone back to, to Belvedere. Yeah. You know, he'd, yeah. and he really, and he became an institution here in his own. Um, when we, re we renovated the Highland Pavilion and it was known as Lavery Hall. The Lavery Hall, yeah. yeah. But, um, so anyway, I came back and uh, the corporal punishment was still on the statute book, but it was yeah. fading out. Mm. And uh, but when Phil Fogarty came, he said, no, it's out. I always felt it was a little bit unfair on the little fellas that it was there. Mm. But I suppose the hope had been that Educationally, you could dialogue with fellas more up to school. Was that because Phil Fogarty was a <clears throat> was a was a, a pacifist type person, or was it a Jesuit kind of thing? No, no, it was just no, normal no, society. Himself, no, right. it, it, it was his thing. Um, Phil, he, he was very laid. He was here behind me in school. Yeah, um, very laid back. And I remember Phil was in the office from he he used he used supervised morning study. Mm. The, uh, the headmaster had been doing that. And a couple of years previously, it moved. The rector used to be the Lord High Everything Else. Mm, yeah. When I was rector here, with say, with Leonard, I was a member of his staff, but he was a member of my community. If I wanted to go away for a week, I'd ask the headmaster. If Leonard wanted to go away for a week, he'd ask the rector. Mm. You know, yeah. that sort of overlap. It, it depended on the personalities, but mm. it was a change that came in from, from the States. But anyway, to go back to the, Phil said, no, it's out. But I remember talking to Willie Burns when he was in sixth year. Willie had three years of corporal punishment mm -hmm. on the statute book, three years not. And he said, it hasn't been all a blessing because if you got pandied and the great safeguard was, the teacher was never allowed to administer the sanction. Did you ever get one of those? Yeah. You had to write a thing. And, but the prefects, the three line prefects uh, on a six day week, not counting Sunday, had to be in their rooms two days in the week. Because if you were sent out by, <clears throat> by Percy Winder, you would go to the prefect to study his office. That would have been Paddy Crow prior to, to Phil. And if he wasn't there, then you had to go to whoever was on duty. Mm. But you might be my nephew. Not quite my son, did you? Yeah. And, and you, you know. And then I would sign the thing and send, send back. So it, it was very reasoned in that way. The only ones who could administer their own sanctions were the, were the prefects. Mm. Um, the the three-line prefects and, and, and the gallery prefect, as he was called. But, but I remember we were discussing it one time in six year, and he said, you know, when, when pandies, as they were called, were in, it was over and done with. Mm. But in the last three years, a teacher who was struggling with a class might say something to you mm. in a fit of anger that you would never forget the rest of your yeah. days. But the other thing was you got sick, so get them over and done with, you yeah. know. So then gradually, Phil and myself, we realised that, that, that it needed structure. So then you'd already left. It was about 1980. Mm. And I don't know how you would have taken it um, <laughs> as well because uh, I introduced formal dress. Yes. And somebody, somebody, <laughs> one of the Hegarty's said to me, you're trying to make it out to be like a British public school. Mm. And I said, what's wrong with a British public school? Yeah. And now to give them their due, fellas who were dead against it. Sounds like Nick to me. Um, <laughs> the, um, the, the fellas were then proud to be mm to be appearing in uniform. If you went to a funeral, I remember once going to a funeral and there was another school involved and they were there in their uniform. Yeah. And Columbus were just there and there. Exactly. I mean, just dressed properly. With, because we wore, you had, you had uh, a jacket and and collar and tie every day. Yeah. but Every the, day? Every day, no. yes. And well, they, even when we were here at school, you had to dress properly in Reveon Rudolph, like a collared shirt, you know, numerous <clears throat> blazers, but you dress. Yes, yes. T-shirts didn't go, you know. Did you have to wear a tie? No, only on Sundays. Yeah. Um, Sundays and mass but, but, and stuff but, like that. But we had... Uh, All the time. <clears throat> and the only formal dress was the rather ridiculous looking thing, whites 
and, and a blazer. Right. Because in the summer term, on a Sunday, unless, the, unless it was pouring rain, the prefect would go around after the bell had rung, rattling his keys and saying, full change. That's when I said to go and get out the whites and that. And I loved cricket, so I yeah. didn't mind. Yeah. Because, as I say, the seniors probably played about six or seven rugby matches before what people you say was the cup match. Yeah. You know? Um, and then cricket, we probably had four or five matches, and always on a Sunday. Mm. And uh, then we, I was always very happy to be wearing, wearing the whites and all that, mm. and, because I, I, I enjoyed the cricket. Yes, in the, when I was at school here, Peter God rest him, say he was in poetry in the higher line, and myself and John were in syntax, the lower line. Mm. If we wanted to talk to him, We'd get permission from the third line pref from the lower line prefect, and he'd get permission from the higher line prefect. You know, to talk about uh, just talk, just to have a chat. Yes, yes, it was. Anyway, um, and some of those, some of those things you did bring back, even in our time, we started bringing them back, which I think were healthy. I remember you and I having word that's at the people's church, because you said Sunday mass, you need a jacket. A shirt and jacket, mm. and you didn't say tie. I came down with a shirt and jacket with no tie. Mm. <laughs> I was said, back. <laughs> I said, Mike, you didn't express yourself clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so. And that was healthy. You can see the Longonians change. Mm. People didn't wear odd socks, uh, clean yeah. shirts, mm. yeah. and all that laxical, daisical, mm. the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s. Yeah. Which but, is around uh, everywhere, you know, it's in France, yeah. I was trying to be cool or where it was, free. Um, but and, and, I think, to, and to give them the, including the fellow who didn't want us to be like British public schools, to have some, no, you, you were able to, you identified yeah. more just, and, and people, people would notice it, people would notice it more. Yeah. Um, but no, Phil was, um, I remember thinking, yeah, Phil, he was never around after five o'clock. <laughs> he was the one who was right, mm. you know. I was all, uh, no, because I was probably too busy than I should have been during the day. Mm. And Friday was my day off. But I really took it. Mm. Are you a workaholic? Hmm? Are you a workaholic, you think? Or? No. Oh, no, I don't. Well, <laughs> if you ask... <laughs> Depends who you ask. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, if if I was an alcoholic and you said, are you an alcoholic? Oh, no. Yeah. You know? Mm. But I, I, I would be more an active person than a reflective person. Yeah. Probably work in, on intuition rather than mm. someone coming in, for, coming in from outside. Um, Is it but, part of your shyness but, as well? You like to keep busy? I suppose possibly. Yeah. I suppose possibly. Because uh, you often do, I've seen you deal with situations where if you keep busy, you don't get drawn into the spotlight or, you know, mm. you, you have a very clever way of, of mingling but not singing yourself out because yeah. you're, you're not that type of person. But I often wonder, is that just, because I know myself, if you're busy at an event, mm. you know we call yeah. to, you know, yeah. asked yeah. about anything. And that concludes part one of my interview with Michael Shield. Be sure to check out parts two and three of this interview and all of the episodes in the podcast series wherever you get your podcasts.